0: Your world is you. I am my world. Fact. Be gone. You're listening to Burdens, the podcast. I'm your host, Drew Kaiser. Every month I tell stories about crooked priests, crestfallen kings, damaged soldiers, witches, giants, and always, prophets. Prophets. Think thousands of years ago somewhere. The way it could have been, not the way it was. A world of dreams, prophecies, and wonders. A world like ours, filled with pain, tragedy, doubt, but also faith and redemption. A world where you just might encounter yourself. This is not your world. Not mine. It's somewhere in between. In between. In between. in between, in between, in between, in between. This is Burdens, episode eleven, Breach Part Three. Last episode, we were introduced to three new characters, Beth, the owner of the flower shop in Jerusalem, Zozo, the travel guide, and Beth's son, Joshua, who at the end of the episode had just presented Eli with a picture that he had drawn of two constellations, Ursa Major and Ursa Minor. This episode picks up where the last one left off. Chapter 5 Zozo came just as Beth had promised, sweeping into the room with a formal introduction, as if Eli were a foreign dignitary and he was on a diplomatic tour of his country. Zozo Gibran at your service. He brought Eli a pair of baggy cargo shorts and a colorful short-sleeved shirt decorated with palm leaves and large white blossoms. Eli thought his new clothes looked ridiculous, but he noticed they matched Zozo's, so he withheld his protest and put them on. Zozo took him to a restaurant and fed him with beef and lamb shawarma with couscous and pita, and Eli consumed it as if he were on the verge of starvation while Zozo watched with bemusement. The kindly tour guide put Eli in a hostel in Old Jerusalem where he could stay until he figured things out and bought him a few more flower print shirts and cargo shorts. Eli enjoyed strolling through the city with Zozo as his guide in the evenings They walked through the plazas and alleyways, admiring the old structures lining the city's hills. Archways hung overhead, and ancient stones slept beneath his feet. Markets filled with bread, produce, lamb and beef kebabs, colorful bags for women, bright colorful clothing, ornate rugs, jewelry, and children's toys hummed with trade. Caper shrubs burrowed their roots into every crack they could find in rock-retaining walls. As old as these structures were, none of them were standing in Eli's time. Compared to Eli, only the rocks were older, unless you counted the city itself. Zozo also took Eli to the western wall so he could see the remains of the temple. As the two men approached the Mugrabi gate, Eli glimpsed an enormous golden dome rising from the highest point of the temple mount. Of all the changes he had witnessed, "'Since this bizarre ordeal began, this was by far the most shocking. "'Where is the temple? And what is that?' "'The temple's gone. That,' Zozo said, pointing at the gold dome, "'is the Dome of the Rock, the third holiest site in the world, according to the Muslims.' "'Muslims? Who are the Muslims?' "'Boy, you really are out of touch,' Zozo said, tugging on Eli's arm. It's as if you've traveled in a time machine from the ancient past. Where are we going? I thought we were going to visit the Temple Mount. It's after 2.30. Jews are not allowed up there at this time of the day. Eli jerked his face towards Zozo's. No Jews on the Temple Mount? Settle down. You're drawing attention to yourself. Why are you always so sheep-like? Nothing seems to rattle you. Where's your spine? It's no wonder our people can no longer walk the streets of Jerusalem freely. We've laid down and allowed the enemies to take over. For a moment, Eli thought maybe he had struck a nerve. Zozo gave him a troubled look, as if he were about to say something, but then the affable, rosy face returned, and he said, Come on, there's something I want you to see. Zozo dragged Eli past the Mugrabi gate, into a wide plaza filled with people. Eli immediately noticed a change in the attire. The clothing was looser and covered most of the skin, and most of the women wore headscarves. Some of the men wore black suits with round-brimmed hats. Before them stretched a high wall of more familiar construction bordering the temple mount. It was ancient. Small green caper shrubs grew out of the cracks in the mortar. Near the wall, A barrier separated the men from the women. The people seemed to be praying before the wall. Some were weeping. Some rocked back and forth, and others stuffed bits of paper into cracks in the wall. Eli surmised this was a holy place. The Western Wall, all that's left of the Second Temple. The people come here to pray for divine mercy and reflect upon God's blessings. Zozo had probably visited the wall hundreds of times, but he still spoke in soft, reverent tones. Eli studied the ancient stones. All that was left of the holy dwelling place of God stood before him. May I? Eli asked. Zozo responded by gesturing toward the wall. Eli slipped off his sandals and approached the ancient structure. The crowd pressed him, and he could hear the supplicants murmuring their prayers around him. He reached out and lay his palm flat against the surface and felt its cool stones against his skin. He knew this wasn't the wall from his time, but at least it was old and it was in the right place. He stood there with his hand pressed against it, eyes closed, for a long time. He felt connected, as if this wall somehow joined his past to the future. He remembered the suffering of his people and wondered how much more they had been through. He thought of the mosque upon the mount that had displaced the temple and the roaring engines of the horseless chariots that had replaced the lowing and bawling of sacrificial animals. He opened his eyes and saw the men on his right and left praying their fervent prayers to God. All this time, so much suffering, and yet we survived. He had not prayed since he and the others escaped. Eli, like most people, had neglected prayer when he needed it most. Maybe he had been too dehydrated before to cry. But now tears ran down his cheeks, and he thanked God for preserving his people through war, pestilence, and persecution. He also made a request. Lord, I don't know how you can do it, but deliver me home. "'Send me back to my people in the wilderness. "'They're lost without me.'" He realized that he had been thinking of those who had survived the siege as if they shared his time and were just in a different space. In reality, they had died centuries ago. They shared approximately the same space, but not the same time. He was a lone survivor. To what end? Why had God brought him so far away from home? Unlike Beth, Zozo seemed to be at ease with his awkwardness, but Eli soon grew tired of his curious nature. He asked too many questions, not the questions he should have been asking like, where did you come from, or why are you dressed like a hermit, or how come you've never had falafel? His questions pried into Eli's head. It was hard enough for one person to live in there, let alone two. While strolling through the Christian district on one occasion, Zozo asked, What is your favorite part of old Jerusalem? The dogs. They're not like the ones back home that chew your leg off while you're sleeping. Zozo chuckled. Tell me, Eli. What do you want most out of life? Family? Friends? Power? Wealth? Mercy? Say, why do you ask so many questions? You're always wanting to know if I like the food or... What I think about some piece of music floating out of some random doorway? Why don't you mind your own business? I feel like I'm always taking a test. I'm just interested, Zozo said defensively. Look, I appreciate what you've done for me and all. Just stay out of my head, okay? Whatever you say, Zozo said. He smirked as if he had no intention whatsoever of staying out of Eli's head. I want to ask you a question. Anything. What can you tell me about Beth? Not much. I met her the same day I met you. You mean the two of you work on the same block and you never met until I passed out on the sidewalk? Zozo shrugged. And people wonder where I've been. Eli lived in the hostel for nearly two weeks. He was far more comfortable there than he had been in the wilderness with the others. But thoughts of home did not fade from his mind. He could never fit in here. Even if he learned to follow the manners and customs of this new world, he would merely be mimicking behavior, playing a part, unable to be himself. The longer he lingered as a foreigner in his own home, so far away, not in space but in time, the more determined he was to return. If he only knew how. Chapter 6 Zozo and Eli often invited Beth to join them for dinner in the evenings, and having no one to leave him with, she always brought Joshua along. Zozo was very fond of the boy and called him the Ravager of Walls. Eli caught the reference. The four of them could not have been more different, but somehow they got along well, at least until Zozo started peppering Eli with his incessant questions. Eli thought about how his sudden arrival had brought them together, and considered this the one good development that had come from his ordeal. One evening after Zozo had bid them farewell, Eli offered to walk Beth and Joshua home after dinner. They strolled down Jerusalem's stone streets, the refugee from the past with mother and son, and Eli almost felt like they belonged together. Immediately he chastised himself for allowing the thought into his mind. It was disloyal to Isla, And not only that, presumptuous to think Beth could ever feel attached to him. Could he think of her as a friend? She and Zozo were all he had in the world anymore. Everyone from his old life were as dead as Isla. He should have been dead too, not haunting the streets of Jerusalem, out of joint with time. Yes, he had to admit it. Beth was his friend. He felt comfortable walking with her under the artificial lights that shined on every walkway and in every corner. How could they tell day from night in this place? Lights burned atop poles along the streets, from signs over doorways, inside homes and stores, and in the palms of people's hands. He thought of his uncle. What a fool! How can the stars be angels if they can be stolen from heaven? Eli tried striking up a conversation with the boy. So, you study the stars, huh, Joshua? The boy nodded energetically as he kept pace with his mother. "'Joshua studies very hard,' said Beth. "'When I was about your age, my uncle taught me about the stars, "'but I'm not so sure he knew what he was talking about. "'He was a bit eccentric. "'He told me the stars were angels who looked down on us "'from their heavenly estates, watching our every move. "'He told me they shine more brightly at night "'as a deterrent against evildoers "'who think they can hide in the darkness.' Wise men look up at the night sky when they are tempted, he said. They remember the angels and think twice before they make a big mistake. The stars hold us accountable. I'm not sure if he really believed that or if he was just trying to keep me out of trouble. As if on cue, they stopped in a wide plaza where fewer lights diluted the starlight and more space opened overhead, affording them a broader view of the sky. The boy looked up at Eli and smiled, then turned his attention to the night sky. The stars were scattered overhead, as if God had taken a handful of heaven's sand and cast it out into the universe to ameliorate the oblivion. We had another idea about the stars, said Beth. When I was a little girl, we would wish upon a star. We'd pick out the brightest star in the sky and concentrate upon it as hard as we could and make a wish, and the wish was supposed to come true. Strange sorcery, said Eli. Did it ever work? I'm still waiting to find out. What did you wish for? Eli asked Beth. Beth studied Eli as if she were trying to decide if she could trust him. Joshua, she said, why don't you see if you can walk all the way around that wall over there? She pointed at a short ledge bordering the plaza all the way around. Beth watched the boy, then returned her attention skyward. Eli waited, wondering if she were wishing upon a star now. ''Eli,'' she said, ''there's something I need to say.'' ''What is it, Beth? You can tell me anything.'' She looked at him. ''Eli, I believe you. I have believed you from the start. This is why I came to the hospital.'' The words stunned Eli. He had been wanting someone to believe him for two weeks, and now that someone was telling him she did, he couldn't believe his ears.'' She kept staring at the stars and cradled one of her hands in the other, as if it were something delicate she was protecting. "'I haven't been honest with you,' she said. "'The day we met, the day you came into the flower shop, I saw something. Just before you came in, a fierce gust of wind roared through the room like a freight train, and the lights blinked out. The air became smoky, and the smell of cinders made my eyes sting.' The wind was so strong, I almost lost my balance, even though I was holding on to the counter. Flower pots fell over. Wreaths flew from the walls. Papers blew around the room. My shop was turned upside down. She paused and stole a glance at Eli to see if he was still listening. She couldn't read his expression. She hesitated, then continued. There was light. Electricity in the middle of my shop. It shifted and buckled in waves. It was as if someone had torn a seam into reality itself, trying to burst through. I ducked behind the counter, closed my eyes, and prayed harder than I'd ever prayed before. I waited there I don't know how long, a minute, maybe longer. Then it was over. Everything was quiet again. The lights returned. The air smelled fresh again. I stood up expecting to see devastation, but everything was just as it had been before. That was when the door opened and you came in. Eli watched Joshua making a turn to begin the final leg of his balancing act. You don't believe me, do you? I didn't say that. Something's wrong. You're not saying anything. Tell me you believe me. If you don't, who will? Tell me I'm not crazy. There was a trill in her voice, and her eyes grew moist. I believe you. Then what is it? Everything's good, right? You believe me, I believe you. We don't have to pretend it didn't happen. Oh, Eli, I've been so scared, too afraid to tell anyone, afraid that things like that could happen. Eli, isn't this wonderful? I believe you. Don't you think I could have used this information two weeks ago? But Eli, I was afraid. I I couldn't. Do you know what it has been like for me? How alone I have felt? You could have told me. That day, or in the hospital, you could have said something. Believe me, I wanted to. There were so many times. Joshua had finished his circuit around the wall, and Eli touched him on the shoulder as a farewell gesture. Take care of your mom, he said, and turned toward the direction of the hostel. He didn't stop till he got there. Not even after he heard his name echoing against the cold stones of the narrow streets. Will Eli ever see Beth again? Will they ever be able to overcome their differences? What kind of future might they have? And will he ever discover the secret behind his arrival in modern-day Jerusalem? Will Eli ever make it home? Find out in the next episode as we read the conclusion of The Breach. You can visit my website at drewkaiser.com or follow me on Instagram and Facebook to keep up-to-date on all the things related to burdens. Spread the word. Tell your friends about it. We want as many people as possible to be able to listen in and join us in these stories. If you haven't done so already, leave a rating and a review on iTunes. The music you hear on this podcast is The Wasteland by Ross Bugden. The voice you hear at the top of the podcast is Wallace Stevens reading his poem, Bantams in Pine Woods. As always, thank you for your feedback, your kind words, and most of all, just for listening. We'll see you next time.